As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show Weekend Review. We're looking back on a weekend where the MLS playoff spots were sealed and we find FC Cincinnati in the postseason field. Next year, they'll be going for the shield. We had a weekend where Saka played a cracker as Liverpool were left trying to make sense of their defence, where Bayern were trying to return to the top but the honours were even at the stadium that used to be home to Klopp, where things started to look a bit shady once again for the old lady, where Ronaldo plundered and got goal number 700. And cometh the man, cometh the hour, as Barcelona stay top due to Pedri power. My name's Ryan Bailey, joining me today, a man who, just like Orlando City, is digging the postseason. Joe Lowry, you digging it? I'm I'm digging it, Ryan. I'm also digging that intro, rhyming hour with Pedri power. That is just inspired work, as almost all of your intros tend to be. You're too kind, Joe. You're too kind. And also, I, I kind of went a bit 70s with you digging it, man. Yeah, a, little, a little bit. A little bit of the 70s side, which, I mean, I, I guess works. I, I, I don't, I'm liking it. Monday morning, Ryan, I'm liking this. You're on my time right now, so we have this connection. I like it. I'm feeling good, Ryan Bailey. I'm feeling reasonably good too. Thank you, Joseph. Yes, listener, I am on West Coast time. I flew into Las Vegas last night, so I'm suitably jet lagged. So be prepared for me to talk even more nonsense than (laughs) usual. Uh, Joining us, Joe, a man who had, um, I I, I don't know how to sort of phrase this, but we had a very unfortunate incident this weekend. Uh, We're joined by a man who tried to buy a pie at a game this Mm. weekend, but he couldn't buy a pie at a game this weekend. Graham Ruthven, I'm so sorry. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. I mean, Sterling Albion won 6-0 against the team top of the table, our fourth straight win. But the fact that I queued up for 15 minutes only to get within five people of the front of the queue and be told that the pies were all gone, that made it the worst match of the season so far. <laughs> was there any substitute for a pie? or just Because you, you tweeted a picture of your empty hand and I honestly think it's the saddest thing I've ever seen. It was hard to see. They, they Apparently they had sausage rolls, but after queuing up for 20 minutes, and it was a beef satay pie, that was the pie of the day as well. <sighs> this is why you phone ahead, Ryan Bailey. Do you remember you gave me grief for phoning ahead? This is why you do it, to reserve a pie. <laughs> One would have had my name on it. As it was, no pies. If there's no pies, I'm not interested. So I turned back around and, uh, and went back to my seat. When I got back to my seat, someone was in my seat. I'd lost my what? seat as well next to my pals. So I'm, I'm, it was, it was a, a, a defeat. In all, apart from the actual result of Wait. the match, which was a 6-0 win, but that was secondary. Graham, I do have a question about the actual 6-0 win. A while back, you mentioned that Sterling Albion had this one guy who was like yes. way better. Is he still around? What's the latest on him? Yeah, Kai Fotheringham. He's on loan from Dun United. He's still much, much better than the rest of the team. And he got, this is how important he is to Albion uh, at the moment. We had used all our substitutions with 10 minutes to go and Kai, Kai Fotheringham gets an injury. It's a, it was, wasn't was a serious injury, but he's so important we just decided to finish the match with 10 men. Just bring him off. We're not going to bother substituting anyone on. So we played the last 10 minutes with uh, 10 men and still won 6-0. <laughs> but he is very, very good. And I'm already fearful that he's going to go back to Dundee United in January because that's when he's loaned dealers up. All right. Well, we've got a lot to talk about for this weekend review. So I'm glad we spent several minutes talking about a Scottish Lion Division game <laughs> to get things kicked off. The most off. important um, thing. 
Indeed, indeed. Uh, priorities there. Uh, no Taylor Rockwell with us this morning. Um, I think he's still dancing in the streets after the Richmond Kickers won USL League One this weekend. Congratulations to the Kickers and to Taylor, who I'm sure is nursing um, a head of some sorts, shall we say. We're uh, we very happy for you, Taylor. <laughs> um, live show is coming up also in a few weeks, guys. We're going to be at Littlefield, Brooklyn. Um, November 20th, it's the evening of the first World Cup game. Graham, tell them why we should, uh, people should go, because if you're uh, they'll, you won't have to phone ahead for a pie, I guess, is one benefit. <laughs> yeah, you'll have a ticket, so you, you you won't queue up only to be disappointed five people from the front. You'll actually be let in if you have a ticket. Yes, we're doing a, a World Cup live show in Brooklyn. It should be uh, really fun. We're all really looking forward to it. It should be good to have a, a drink with everyone as well. I think we're looking forward to that social element of it, not just doing a, a show which should be good, but also meeting all our lovely lovely listeners on the opening day of the World Cup. So uh, please click the, the link in the show notes it's been regularly shared on social media as well please come along oh excellent sell grand textbook stuff thank you very much all right let's get to the weekend action let's start it off with mls decision day this past weekend uh going in we knew of course lfc uh, LA, lafc easy for me to say were uh, supporters field champions uh with home field advantage through the postseason we knew that philadelphia montreal nycfc the red bulls miami austin dallas la galaxy and nashville had all clinched playoff spots but joseph there were a few up for grabs. Let's start with the East, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. So there was some questions coming into this weekend about who would fill out sort of the bottom of the postseason field in Major League Soccer. So in the Eastern Conference, we had a couple of different teams really setting their their spot and, and claiming that spot in the postseason. One of those is FC Cincinnati, who were in the playoffs after winning three straight wooden spoons. So that's wooden spoons in all three of their first three years in Major League Soccer. Just incredible incompetence from Cincinnati for those first three years. And now, I mean, seriously, though, I mean, it was it was bad decision after bad decision. Now they've made some good decisions, and you can tell already the results of those. So P- Pat Noonan coming in as the manager, Chris Albright coming in as the general manager, them getting more out of the players they already had in their roster, them getting more out of some smart uh, both intra-league and outside the league moves. I mean, it, it's, it's all come together into this beautiful little – uh, Cincinnati Chili. I, I, I have a hard time making that beautiful because it's not. But it's turned out well for Cincinnati this year. We're going to have a piece up on backheel.com about Cincinnati and, and sort of their rise and what's made them so good this year. But that's kind of the cliff notes. So it wasn't a perfect game against D.C. United on Sunday, but they win 5-2, right? They have legitimate goal scorers in this team. Yeah. Lucho Acosta is an MVP-level talent. I mean, since he deserved to be in the postseason. Yeah, I mean, some of the, the defending in this game uh, from DC United wasn't great um, for the first two goals in particular. was was pretty shocking. The second goal, DC United give the ball away inside their own half, then lose the runners, and then Akimboni gets back to make the clearance but stumbles the ball over his own line. But nonetheless, there was some excellent attacking play by Cincinnati in, in this match. Uh, Acosta was enjoying himself. Vasquez was just way too physical for DC, and he got three assists in, in this game. And then uh, Brenner got a hat trick and, and his finish for since his fourth goal in particular was just sensational right into the top corner with such little back lift outside the box and that attack of Acosta, Acosta, Brenner and Vasquez they finished the regular season with 46 goals and 33 assists which yeah. are serious serious numbers and that attack I know we and we'll come on to this point a little bit later when talking about some teams on the other side who have the defense and I often my my instinct is often to think those teams maybe have a better chance in 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 playoff football but if you have an attack that's scoring that's those those numbers of goals posting those sort of numbers then since they since they have a chance in pretty much every game they play yeah absolutely Graham and that was half of the the real playoff debate in the Eastern Conference. The other half was Orlando Columbus. That game was going to decide a playoff team as well, or most likely it was going to do that. And Orlando get a pretty late 2-1 win over the Columbus crew. This is coming after, fellas, Caleb Porter earlier on in the year said, there's there's an account on Twitter called, shoot, I'm trying to find it, at yeah. Images MLS. I don't know if people <laughs> have seen this, at Images MLS. And its its title is MLS Images That Preceded Unfortunate Events. <laughs> and this one went pretty viral yesterday, at least in MLS circles. And it's just a screenshot of an article on the Columbus Ditch Dispatch with the headline, Caleb Porter, colon, I'd bet my house, in quotes, that Columbus crew will make the playoffs. Fast forward to today or yesterday, the Columbus crew did not, in fact, make the playoffs. It's a late penalty from Fagundo Torres that sinks them this season, and, and Caleb Porter is in real trouble as manager yeah. of the Columbus crew. Congratulations to Orlando City, 
for nailing that spot down. They've had good success in knockout competitions this year. They won the U.S. Open Cup. They have some game-breaking talent. Junior Urso gets a nice goal in this game as well to sort of get Orlando back in the game after Columbus had scored a nice opener earlier on in the match. So there's quality here. I, I don't really know that Orlando have it, have the, the squad depth and the overall top-end talent to really make a deep run. But the playoffs are the great equalizer. Unfortunately yeah. for the crew and Caleb Porter, they're not going to be in the playoffs. And I guess Caleb Porter doesn't have a house anymore. I'm not sure exactly how that's going to turn out. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the positive for Orlando, I agree with everything everything you're, you're saying there, Joe, regarding their, their squad depth. But they have proven themselves in the past, not just this year, but to be a, to be a cup team. So who knows, maybe, you know, playoff football will, will suit them. For Columbus, they dropped 24 points from winning positions this season which is quite astonishing. And that in itself might be enough to, to spell the end for Caleb Porter. The Columbus crew have only made the playoffs, I think, once in, uh, with him as, as manager, which really isn't acceptable for, for them. Um, so it was kind of fitting that their season ended in this manner, where they were 1-0 up at halftime and eventually lost 2-1. That kind of sums up their season as a yep. whole, I think. That's brilliant, Joe, that there was a, a direct um, competition for playoff spots between two teams playing each other on decision day. That doesn't happen too often, does it? No, and it, it's kind of weird because I don't think there was a ton at stake, generally speaking, for this particular decision day. A lot of things, both in the East and in the West, were already locked up. So there wasn't like a ton of chaos that we were able to have. But this game, Orlando and Columbus, where both teams needed something. And, and you had something similar in the in the Western Conference as well, with RSL and Portland still being alive coming into decision day and playing each other in RSL, winning 3-1 in that match. You had a couple of those really high-stakes games, and yeah, that, that does make a big difference in the last day of the regular season. Joe, yeah. can we can we talk about Portland just, just for a second? Um, obviously, Seattle and Portland not making the, the playoffs for the first time since uh, 2014, is it? Or sorry, rather, the, the, the West representative, representative in the MLS Cup this year will be a team other than Portland and Seattle for the first time since the LA Galaxy in 2014. But for Which Portland... Is wild. That is a yeah. wild statistic, by the way. I should have known that, and I saw that earlier today for other research I was doing, and I did a double take, went and Googled MLS Cups and fact-checked that myself, and it is 100% true. I just couldn't believe it. Keep going, Graham. Yeah, so that, that is going to give the playoffs on the, on the Western side a, a, a slightly unusual look. And for Portland, I guess the inquest will, will begin on what was a, a disappointing season after making MLS Cup final last year. Joe, I'm interested in what your opinion is on Portland. Is this, is this just the end of a, a cycle with an aging squad? Does, it, does that squad need a bit of squad replenishment? And also, what was the Eric Williamson decision, decision all about? Because it seemed like Savarese, after the game, suggested that it wasn't an injury, there wasn't a fitness concern, that was a manager's decision, and that seemed to, um, let's just say, not help Portland in that game against RSL. Yeah, so I don't have answers to that Eric Williamson question, but I have even more questions than you do, Graham. So Eric Williamson, uh, star central midfielder for the Portland Timbers, missed a chunk of this year. Portland have looked much better when he's been on the field. Gio Savarese left him on the bench for the entire game against RSL. A, a must a, a huge a huge game for them where they needed to get something to get above the playoff line, and that doesn't happen. So Eric Williamson doesn't step on the field. It sounds like Savarese didn't see something that he wanted to see from Williamson in training, so maybe his form really dipped. Maybe there's something else going on. Uh, this, this would be my best guess, even though I have no idea if it's true or not. Maybe there's something else going on behind the scenes between these different parties that that sort of Gio Savarese didn't want to shine a light on, and which I would understand because I think that's sort of what coaches should do in this situation when they're asked these sorts of questions. So I don't know what happened with Eric Williamson, but I do know he would have helped this team. Again, they lose 3-1 to RSL. Portland, Graham, I think Portland have kind of been punching above their weight for a while now. They make it all the way to MLS Cup last year. I'm not sure they were really all that good last year, certainly not in the regular season. They do get hot at the right time. They have gotten hot at the right time in the past, but you look at their starting lineup against RSL, and, and you have players like Dairon Espria, who, who do catch fire now and then, especially later on in the year, but he's not a game-breaking talent. You have some other options in the back that maybe aren't of the best quality. I still, I still think there are holes in this team, not just that it's an aging team, but I, I don't think they're as talented as they need to be to hang with a lot of the rest of the league. Now, that changes a lot when you get Nia and you get Williamson, and you get some of these other top-tier players in the lineup, but... They weren't on Sunday in the biggest game of the year, and now Portland's going to be watching the playoffs from home. 
Oh dear, oh dear. And um, just to jump back to the East, um, Montreal had the chance to overtake Philadelphia Union to win the East. Uh, Despite winning 3-1 in Miami, they did not do so. I had a layover in Montreal at the airport yesterday. There was a solemn feeling in the air, guys. Um, They Mm. were all talking about it. (laughs) At least I I, I think they were. I don't speak French, but... um, Yeah, I think uh, think solemn is just... That's just the vibe of French, to be honest, like the French language, so... uh... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Indeed. Well, um, yeah, as, as we say, we've had a, a few uh, interesting surprises in the playoffs, not least Cincinnati getting in there after finishing, what was it, rock bottom in the last three seasons? Good stuff, yep. Cincinnati, yep. the secondary Queen City. Well done to you. Joe, is there anywhere, say, on this feed in the coming days where people could learn more about the playoffs? Yeah, so Graham, Taylor and I are going to have a full MLS show out tomorrow, so hopefully this wet your whistle. We're going to do a little bit more looking back at... Yeah, Graham got me. We're going to do a little bit more looking back at the regular season and and sort of monitoring big storylines and figuring out what we all should be caring about headed into the playoffs. And then we'll talk playoffs and playoff matchups, looking at games that interest us, all that jazz. So yes, more MLS in the TSSV tomorrow. Looking forward to that jazz. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk Arsenal 3, Liverpool 2. Woof. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to a weekend review. Let's turn our attentions to the Premier League and the aforementioned Arsenal 3, Liverpool 2. Arsenal's biggest statement of the season so far, surely, with this one. A very, very entertaining game. Mr Martinelli once again on top form in this one. Graham, your immediate takeaways from this. Is uh, Are Arsenal guaranteed champions now? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Just hand the trophy trophy over now. Um to be sincere on that point for a, for a moment, obviously after a match like this, fans are talking about challenging for the for the title, and and I, th- I think we are at the point where a title challenge is becoming more feasible if we're considering the first kind of quarter of the season. City and Arsenal have quite clearly been the best two teams in the Premier League, and I'm not quite there yet in terms of saying Arsenal can do it and they'll finish ahead of City. I, I still think City are, will win this win this title. But there's no denying the progress that they've made this season. And I said I wanted to see a reaction after the defeat to, to Manchester United before that that strange uh, that strange break with, with the Queen dying and then the international break. I, I wanted to see the reaction after that. And, and they've certainly uh, provided that. And the fans and the players seem to have a connection again. The Emirates is, is loud, maybe for the first time ever. Uh, there seems to have been a, cons- a concerted effort by Arsenal um, I don't think I'm offending anyone by saying that because it seems like Arsenal recognised the fact that the, the home atmosphere maybe wasn't the best in the Premier League and they seem to have an ultra section now and they're putting more effort into creating that atmosphere. And I, and I really think that has helped Arsenal and there is a connection between the players and the pitch and the fans in the stand now. And there's just so much to like about this Arsenal team at the moment. This was definitely, for me, their biggest statement win, but not necessarily their best performance. I thought in terms of the quality of this game, both teams were, were kind of flawed in, in a lot of what they were doing. It was a bit of a hot mess of a match, to be honest. It was played at an incredible tempo from start to finish. As I say, the atmosphere was very loud. There were mistakes, questionable refereeing decisions, but it was it was very, very watchable. And I think in the end, even if that penalty decision is one of those questionable calls that I mentioned, in the end, I think on the balance of play, Arsenal probably did deserve to win. Yeah, very enjoyable game for me to watch during a layover in Montreal Airport as well, I should add. Um, some great goals in this one too. Martinelli with the lovely opener in less than a minute. Uh, Saka with a couple here. Uh, Nunes and Firmino both getting equalisers too. Uh, Joe, this Arsenal team, they seem pretty solid, do they not? Yeah, at this point, I'm not willing to say that they're title challengers to City yet. I know Arsenal are on top of the table. I know they're one point ahead of Manchester City. I just think it's too early, right? And I think a lot of folks out there, even Arsenal fans, you you could think would be logical enough to say it's a little too early for this team, or at least for us to be making that conclusion that at this point in the season. 
But Arsenal, for me right now, are the clear second-best team in the Premier League. It's pretty obvious to me with how well they played in this game. There were mistakes. Certainly, there were high-line issues at some points in this match. Things were a little bit chaotic, and that's not exactly what Mikel Arteta, who is a disciple of Pep Guardiola in a lot of ways, wants to see. Right? He wants control. He wants his team to be dominating in a lot of different phases of play. Still, though, even with the chaos... I think Arsenal pretty well dominated in this game. They didn't take that many more shots, but they consistently got into better areas. They were keeping Liverpool under pressure. You go through and you look at the Premier League table right now, and Arsenal, I believe, are second in the league behind City in goal differential. They're second in the league behind City in expected goals differential. They're a good team. The numbers show it. You see it when you watch them. They're flexible, but also they understand how to play in this way that Mikel Arteta wants. You'll see a number of different possession shapes throughout the course of any 90-minute stretch. In this game, they kind of play with four center backs in the back line, right? So you have the the standard two in, in Saliba and Gabriel. And then you have Ben White, who's sort of this right-back, center-back hybrid playing on the right side of that back line. And then Tomiyasu, who can play right-back, he can play center-back, or he can play left-back. And it's those four players in the back line. It's a strange decision in some ways from Mikel Arteta, but it, it absolutely works in this game. It helped them yeah. deal with Liverpool. It helped Tomiyasu, I thought, did very well on Mo Salah in this game. It was just a strong performance. Not a perfect performance, but a strong performance from Arsenal that does continue to tell me that they are at least the mm. second-best team in the Premier League this year. My, my eyebrow was raised Ancelotti style when I saw that Tommy Asu was, was starting this match at, at left-back. Ben White has obviously he's been he's been playing at right-back for a while, but I think this is the first time this season, certainly in the Premier League, we've seen Tommy Asu, who either plays centre-back or right-back. I don't think we've seen him at left-back before. But as the match went on, I came to realise that it was it was actually a pretty clever tactical decision by Arteta, and this has been picked up by a, by a number of the Arsenal blogs and maybe by the Athletic as well. But Tommy Asu is obviously right-footed, so you have to think Arteta wanted him to stick with Salah, who likes to cut inside, and 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 that's what he did. And some numbers from Tommy Asu's game: most uh, most ground duels won, most aerial duels won, most tackles won, most ball recoveries made. So that that kind of tells you what his purpose in this Arsenal team was. Um, and he was a big reason why Salah hardly had a, a sniff in this game until he comes off in, in the second half. And the other reason you play Tommy Asu is that he's good in the air, and Liverpool like to play those diagonal left to right long balls to to Salah. And again, Tommy Asu. Just, just snuffed them out and in general I think Arteta's doing some really interesting stuff with his fullbacks this season because um, as you as you mentioned Joel four, four defenders in this game centre-backs by, by trade um, and it's sort of a, against the grain of what has become customary in, in modern football where generally the best teams have flying fullbacks getting forward Liverpool have, of course being a, a perfect example of that but it's very effective t- for Arsenal to have these ball playing defenders who like to build up the play from the back and 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 it's a, it's a different it's a different approach to the fullback position and I'm I'm enjoying seeing what Arteta's doing with that. Um, Liverpool, Joe, after eight games, are down in tenth place yeah. in the Premier League. Lots of uh, interesting headlines around them. One on the Guardian saying faltering Liverpool are at a crossroads and Klopp is hard pressed to find answers. Um, it was the, just we just passed the seven-year anniversary of Klopp being in charge. He's the longest-serving Premier League manager. It seemed in this one, Joey's tactics didn't pay off. We had, for the most part, that four-two-three-one, which is a bit more attacking, despite what Klopp says. And I think he mentioned that they defend more bravely in this system. So my question for you, Joe, is why are they this hot mess at the moment? Is it that they've got tired players? Is it that Jurgen Klopp's been there seven years and he's not getting the most out of them anymore? Is it this aging squad or a combination of all these things? Yeah, I think it is a combination of all of those different factors. I think part of this is fatigue potentially from having uh, the same voice for so long. And I think Jurgen Klopp is a brilliant coach. What he's done with this team is impressive. And I don't think it's beyond him or the players that they have who who are world class to dig themselves out of this hole and at least salvage this season in a cup competition or to climb up the table and, and land back in the Champions League spots. That all seems very doable to me. So I'm not I'm not trying to say that Liverpool should phone it in at this point and Klopp should head out the door. But I mean, there are a lot of issues with this team, things that I thought they would adapt better to and, and more quickly to that they simply have not. So one example is maybe Sadio Mane leaving, and I, I think they've hurt without him in this season They've had to change their attacking structure a little bit. They lack some of his directness in behind. They lack his ability to rotate centrally. And you go through and you look at some of the other players in this squad, their numbers have dipped as a result. So you couple, you, you couple losing a player like Mane with losing all the injuries, all the, all the injured players that they've had and not being able to play with Thiago for stretches of the year. Now he's back in the fold. Not being able to play with a number of other guys that have dealt with injuries. 
And then you look at just dips in performance, right? Mo Salah has not been dangerous uh, week in, week out like he has been in, in previous seasons. And even Trent Alexander-Arnold, you know, a lot of the conversation gets pointed out, and John Muller pointed this out on Twitter, a lot of the conversation about Trent Alexander-Arnold is his defensive work and, and how he struggles to defend, and we saw that in this game against Martinelli. It was very, very clear to see. That's been true forever, right? As long as Trent Alexander-Arnold has been a professional soccer player. What is sort of new about Alexander-Arnold right now is that he's not creating chances for Liverpool. Last year, he was one of the absolute best playmakers in the entire Premier League. He was averaging 0.35 expected assists per 90 minutes, which is really, really good. So this year, he's sitting at 0.11. That's less than a third of the expected assists, less than a third of the of the quality shots that he was creating last year. Is he creating this year? That's a problem for Liverpool. You take Mane out of this team, you try to change the, the, the shape a little bit at times, and you have dips in other players in the squad. That's not a recipe for being a contender year after year, and we're seeing that play out on the field right now for Liverpool. We are indeed. Um, Graham, there was that last, I think it was the last season at Borussia Dortmund with Jurgen Klopp where they mm. were sort of circling the drain before Christmas and then he dragged them up to, I think, seventh. Do you see that kind of recovery in this season or do you see this being uh, the uh, the end of the line for Mr. Klopp in, on Merseyside? Um, I've kind of got a, a bit of a split answer on that. I think with the, with the individual talent that Liverpool have and with some players coming back from injury, it, it is entirely feasible that they recover from this point, whether they finish in the top four or not. I kind of I think that depends on how the teams around them are, are doing. I, I am This match kind of changed my opinion a little bit on Liverpool in a broader sense. Um, I'm not going to go over the top and call for Klopp to be sacked or anything. I think if you were... If, if you're building a new team, you probably still want Jurgen Klopp to be the guy building that. I don't see another manager who's who's better at that. But I think there is a good chance that this is now the end of a, of, of a cycle for Liverpool. Six of the 11 players that started against Arsenal in this game were over the age of 30. And then two more who came off the bench, um, Fabinho and, and Firmino, also over the age of 30. And it, it might be a slightly reductive argument, but I, I just wonder if Liverpool have simply gotten a little bit too old to play the way that, that Klopp wants. And the drop-off since the end of last season has been quite alarming, and I don't have a full explanation for the full extent of that drop-off. But Liverpool in this game just looked like, obviously Arsenal being one of the younger teams in the Premier League, it just at points it just looked like they couldn't cope with their intensity, and particularly towards the end of the game where Liverpool are 3-2 down, and normally you think, OK, Liverpool are going to come back into this, it's the last 50 minutes are going to be kind of lightning quick from Liverpool, and, and that just never materialised. In fact, they look leggy towards the end of the game. So I just look at the, the age of those players, the workload that they've had over the last four or five seasons under Klopp, and just think that squad maybe needs quite a bit of replenishment and maybe it's taken the start of the season for everyone, including myself. I didn't see it in the summer. I, I tipped Liverpool as the champions, which is now looking pretty terrible, but it's now kind of becoming obvious that this feels like the end of the cycle. Yeah, and we have to remember, um, listener, that everything in soccer is cyclical. What comes up must come down and teams that are good are not always good forever. Teams that are bad are not always bad forever. Except for MK Dons, of course, they're always the worst. I was waiting to see where that was going. 100%. That makes sense. You knew where it was going. Yeah, true. It's true. (laughs) I'm that predictable, Joseph. I am indeed. Uh, Let's go around the rest of the Premier League. Why don't we? Chelsea 3, Wolves 0. Graham Potter taking on Vacant manager, I think we'll call it this. This is uh, Graham Potter's first home <laughs> league Mendes. victory. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Uh, Havertz, Pulisic and Borja with the uh, goals for Chelsea. Um, what Following Twitter, Graham, during this game and following the Christian Pulisic conversation was quite confusing. He was either the worst player in the world or the best. I couldn't figure <laughs> it out. Is that not just... Uh... Uh, uh, encapsulation of USMNT Twitter as a whole. Uh, it feels like, yeah, he he. Um, so obviously he comes back into the team. He was he was defrosted to start this match, having not featured at all <laughs> against AC Milan in the Champions League last weekend. And I thought generally he he played quite well. Um, there, he he was a little bit wired with some of his shooting. The finish for the goal is very good. So I'm interested to see if he gets any game time against Milan in the Champions League this week. Um, but it, it, it's it's encouraging for Christian Pulisic, right? Because I'm not mm. quite on board with, with Joe. Joe seems to be quite happy with um, him not playing at all. I, I think you want a happy medium. You don't want him running into himself into the ground ahead of the World Cup. I equally don't think you want him sitting on the bench for every single game. It feels like that might affect his sharpness. So 
this is encouraging for Pulisic and encouraging for, for Chelsea as, as a whole. They've now won three matches in a, in a row under under Potter. Um, that's actually the first time that Chelsea have done that in over a year, which is quite astonishing. I, I was surprised to read that. Um, Mason Mount did very well. He seems to be coming back into, to, into form, assisting twice in this game, which is actually his first two goal involvements in the Premier League this season. Another surprising wow. thing that I didn't know before this game. Really? Loftus-Cheek playing well again. Kai Havertz looking dangerous. So, Lots of positives for Potter and I would say for Christian Pulisic as well. Indeed. Joe, Christi, uh, Christian Pulisic may be starting at the San Siro on Tuesday night. Exciting times. Yay? Ah, uh, yay, yeah, yay, yay. <laughs> Don't get hurt. Indeed. We shall see about that one. Man City 4, Southampton nil. Uh, Cancelo, Foden, Mares, and of course, Mr. Haaland getting on the score sheet here. Uh, Erling Haaland, 15 goals in nine games. Pretty casual, Graham. Yeah, it feels like every time Southampton go to the Etihad, they'll probably consider this uh, quite a good result. It feels like they get thumped there every single season. A fairly routine win for City, who didn't even play to their full capability in this match. Cancelo was excellent. His link-up with, with Foden was very good. De Bruyne and, and Bernardo played well, as they always do. And of course, as you mentioned, uh, Hallen, Hallen gets his goal. That, that goal, by the way, comes after a 21-pass sequence, which is the longest passing sequence leading to a goal in the Premier League so far this season, which wow. kind of tells you just how dangerous City are at the moment. Um, they've, they've got that control, that trademark pep possession, but they've also got the greatest goal scorer in Europe to finish it off. It's a little bit frightening at the moment. Uh, Liverpool for City next weekend, so that's something to look forward to, even if Liverpool aren't in the best of form right now. Those, those matches are, are always must-watch events. Indeed. Newcastle 5, Brentford 1, a year and one day after Newcastle's Saudi takeover. Bruno Gomares with a great long-range goal in this one, and Miggy Almiron punishing some bad defending for the fifth goal as well. Brentford, Graham, last one at St. James's Park, 88 years ago. Fun fact. Wow. Okay, I didn't know that one. I mean, if I had to think about it, it's not too surprising given that Brentford aren't traditionally a top-flight team. But nonetheless, 88 years is a, is a long time to wait for a, a win at St. James's. Let's also, let's also mention, Ryan, you said a year ago-ish since Newcastle's takeover happened. They're sixth in the Premier League right yeah. now. Those things are related. That's all yep. I had to New say. New big six. Yep. Yay? Hmm. <laughs> we'll see about that. Uh, Bournemouth 2, Leicester 1. A Bournemouth second half comeback in that one after Pats and Dagger put Leicester up, but they fell away a bit in this one. Uh, Palace 2, Leeds 1. A much-needed win for Palace. They started the weekend one point above the bottom three. West Ham 3, Fulham 1. Uh, Bowen Scamacca and Antonio with the goal. Scamacca scoring in his third successive game. Good stuff. And Everton 1, Manchester United 2. Alex Iwobi with a lovely opener in this one. Anthony with an equaliser. He seems to be the discount Erling Haaland. Scores all the time. Maybe that's too much, Graham. But, uh, he costs more. Yeah, that's very true. And then Cristiano Ronaldo getting his 700th goal in club soccer. More than anyone else in the history of soccer. We're talking to you, Pele. Yeah, yeah. I read a, I, 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 there was a, a, a Twitter stat going around over the weekend, which was quite phenomenal, comparing Ronaldo and, and Haaland. And I think if Ronaldo, I think the, the stat is, I'm kind of doing off, this off the top of my head. If Ronaldo doesn't score another goal, it would take Haaland 16 years of 43 goals every season to match Cristiano Ronaldo's 700 goal tally which is incredible. And I know there's been a lot of talk about Ronaldo and his suitability for this, this Ten Hag system and everything like that. And that is all fair. And I think his time at the top is probably starting to fade. But nonetheless, what he's achieved with the goals he scored is phenomenal. And I'm, I'm, when you put it like that, I'm not even sure Erling Haaland will, will, will do that. 16 years of 40 plus goals. That's insane. I feel like Haaland could get 700 goals this season, though, to be fair, Graham. He could. Maybe he'll get 701 by uh, next May. <laughs> we shall see. We shall see. All right, that's the Premier League rounded up. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, plenty more to talk about from the continent, including Der Classica, including Milan's win over Juventus, and much, much more. Do join us after these very important messages. Back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. 
Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's turn our attention to Der Klassiker. Borussia Dortmund 2, Bayern Munich 2. The first post-Lewandowski and post-Harland edition of this game. Uh, Bayern Munich had the chance to go top of the league with a win here. They did not take that chance, thanks at least in part to uh, a Modesta equaliser in the 95th minute. Joe, a pretty exciting game here. I was, I was expecting Bayern domination because they tend to have dominated this fixture in recent seasons, but... Uh, Pretty evenly matched, I'd say. I think so, Ryan. Going through this game, now it is sort of tricky because Bayern Munich go up 2-0 in this match. So Leon Goretzka scores a beautiful goal from outside the box. He threads it through like three different Borussia Dortmund defenders, and it just finds the back of the net past Meyer for Dortmund in net. It's a beautiful strike that puts uh, uh, that puts Bayern Munich up 1-0. And then Leroy Sané scores again, and that's the 53rd minute to make it 2-0. At that point, it seems like Dortmund are pretty well done and dusted. And then Mokoko gets a goal. That makes it 2-1 in the 74th minute. And then Modest gets a goal. And, and Dortmund are sort of going with, with two strikers for a period in this game. And Modest comes on. And he is the guy who gets the winning header. Uh, not, it gets the, well, it kind of it did feel like a winning header for Dortmund. But it wasn't with the way uh, that the, the game had gone before then. It ends 2-2, which is a, a really strong result for Borussia Dortmund and Edin Terzic. I, I didn't know that they were going to be able to pull this game off, but I will also say at the same time, this is one of the first times this year where I've watched Bayern Munich, and yes, they were ahead 2-0 in this game, when I, I don't think they really played all that well. I thought they were going to get three points because they were up 2-0, but I wasn't entirely shocked to see Dortmund come back in this game. Bayern have lost other matches this year where I thought they played much better in this game. I think back to their game against Gladbach, where they lose that match, or at least they drop points. Shoot, I can't remember which it was at this point. But Jan Sommer puts on a goalkeeper clinic in that game. And there have been some other matches like that this year where Bayern Munich have dominated and not gotten all three points. In this game, it looked like they looked like they were going to get all three points without dominating. And Dortmund have too much talent, really, for you to not absolutely slam the door in their face. This is the first game this year that I've really looked at Bayern Munich and said, man, they, they do sort of miss some of the pieces that they've lost. They do miss Lewandowski, and they don't look like they're invincible in the Bundesliga this year. Now, I still think they're going to win the Bundesliga title. It's going to take a lot more than this game for me to change that opinion. But, yeah, not, not invincible, this Bayern yeah. Munich group. This match and this performance was slightly more confusing from Bayern Munich than some of the other games that they've, they've dropped points in. Because as, as you mentioned there, Joe, in other games, they've had those chances and the expected goals has kind of reflected that. But in this game, it kind of felt like they, they struggled to create opportunities. Yeah, Both they goals they yeah. score come from long-distance shots. And if you look at the XG, Dortmund finish on 1.47 compared to Bayern 0.91. So that kind of tells you that there weren't really many glaring opportunities for Bayern like there has been in those games you mentioned, Joe, with Jan Sommer for, for Gladbach. Or, um, or not, uh, yeah, he, uh, yeah, that was a Gladbach yep. game, wasn't it? Um, but I think that was down to, a lot of that was down to the way Terzic set up Dortmund. So they were in a 4-5-1 for much of the game and, and they made it difficult for Bayern Munich to play through them. And that isn't something we've seen from Dortmund a lot, certainly in the Bundesliga this season. And the midfield three of Ozkan, Bellingham and Emery Chan, they, they, they did a good job of dominating the middle of the pitch for the first 30 minutes. And then Kimmich started to, to pull the strings. But then Terzic makes changes in the second half, which changed the dynamic of, of the match again. He switches to a 4-4-2 with Modeste as the second striker. I've been quite critical of Modeste this season, and I think that criticism is, is warranted. I think a lot of people have been critical of, of Modeste. But the key thing here was he was brought on to play alongside Makuku as the second striker and, and uh, Karim Adeyemi as well with the right winger. So there was still that fluidity, that direct running from Dortmund. And, and when Modeste plays up front on his own, I just think he's too immobile. He doesn't play to the strengths of Dortmund. But when he has Makuku alongside him, that isn't much of an issue because... You, you aren't relying on Modeste to, to conduct attack. You're basically wanting him to get in the danger area. And that is what he did for the equaliser. So I think Terzic, the, he has learning lessons um, as shown by the fact he doesn't bring on, it's not a like-for-like -like swap. He doesn't take off Makuku and put on Modeste, which if he'd done that, I just don't see a way back into this game for Dortmund. So that it was, it was I felt like we learned more about Dortmund than we did about Bayern Munich, who there is this, there is this question mark above them at the moment, but I don't really have many answers. 
Joe, to jump back to your assertion that you still think Bayern are going to win the Bundesliga, which is a perfectly rational assertion, we've got Bayern in third with 16 points and Dortmund in fourth with 16 points. Do you think it's Dortmund who are going to be pushing them the most? And in a season where Bayern and Dortmund haven't been near the top really yet, is that is that an indictment of the rest of the league that you think in the second half of the season these two teams are going to pull away or just the natural order of things? Well, okay, so first of all, I, I don't know that I think Dortmund is going to be the other team pulling away. So I don't okay. know if that's going to be the case or not. I kind of envision this as Bayern Munich won and this Bundesliga cohort being two, right? So I don't know if it's going to be Dortmund or if it's going to be Gladbach or if it's going to be Freiburg. Maybe Union Berlin continued their their ridiculously hot start to the year and they stay up, although I, stay up meaning in the top echelons of the Bundesliga, not staying in the Bundesliga. I, I think there's a chance that all of those things could happen. Union Berlin maybe the, the least likely of all of those. But I, I do think it is in some ways an indictment of the Bundesliga. But this goes back to the very same conversation we had in the big thing about Bayern Munich being dominant. They're just they're just dominant, right? Even after weekends like this, the prognosis isn't bad for them, right? The outlook isn't bad despite Oliver Kahn sort of losing it in the stands for, that was for them so after. Good. It was really, really good. It was exceptional. I mean, they're still the best team in the Bundesliga because they have the best players and they, they've been the best run club for so long. I, I'd rather focus, to be honest, Brian, on how incredible it is that this many teams are keeping up with Bayern Munich, right? We can mm-hmm. talk about them faltering, but man, Union Berlin and the run they've had has been incredible, right? Absolutely incredible. Freiburg being second right now, two points ahead Bayern is phenomenal. Dortmund getting this result against Bayern uh, Saturday would have been, is is just, it's, it's beautiful. And Werder Bremen being in the top five, these are things that you don't see every season in the Bundesliga. So despite sort of this general cloud of doom that I think likely hangs over all of the other Bundesliga teams that aren't called Bayern Munich, man, they've got to be thrilled with how this season has gone for them so far this year. The the can tantrum was wow. actually now that you mention it, that was my favorite thing from this game because it's such a proper tantrum as well. It's like the yeah. sort of tantrum my three year old would have when I would say, you know, we we she can't she's not allowed to watch any more Gabby's Dollhouse or whatever on on Netflix. He kind of like slides down onto the seat of his chair and kind of like. Uh, like thrashes his his arms up in the air and everything. It, it yeah. was like a proper child's tantrum. Brilliant. It, it was great. It was it was exactly that. It was so angry I can no longer sit. Was the uh, <laughs> was the approach from Oliver Kahn there? Wonderful stuff. Um, are any more on this game, or should we should we jump onto the Bundesliga roundup, Graham? I think we can move on. Let's do it. Union Berlin. Union Berlin, I should say, excuse me. Two points clear at the top of the Bundesliga with a 1-0 win over Stuttgart. Freiburg still in second as well, despite a 2-2 draw at Hertha Berlin. Uh, another draw between Mainz, uh, Mainz excuse me, and RB Leipzig. Very jet-lagged, I apologise, listener. Uh, and Kunku getting a goal once again in this one. Uh, Leipzig's record is 3-3-3. At the moment, all the three is very interesting. Uh, one other game I wanted to draw attention to by Leverkusen for Schalke. Nil, newly promoted Schalke, we should add. But this, uh, Graham, had Chabi Alonso's first game as Bayer Leverkusen manager. Um, that's pretty cool. Most handsome manager in the top yeah. five leagues, should we say? Is yeah, that fair? There are, there, are, there are certain young managers who I'm convinced just get appointed to jobs because they look like they'll be a good manager. I'm convinced <laughs> that's why Arsenal appointed Mikel Arteta. And look, it's working out fairly well for yeah. them. So maybe it'll work out for Leverkusen. This was obviously a lot better from from, from them in this game. Uh, Jeremy Frimpong getting two goals. I, I've got a little bit of a, a, a soft spot for him having played at Celtic. He's a fantastic character, by the way. You should seek out some of his interviews when he was at Celtic. He, uh, I don't think he's had a day of media training in his life, so I very much hope he comes to the Premier League one day and gets some more of those interviews in English because they're very enjoyable. Yeah. But Leverkusen, yeah, hopefully they, for their, for their sake, they've, they've turned a corner because obviously endured a terrible start to the season and you look through that, that squad and that team and the talent they've got, they should be certainly up around about the top four in that table. Yeah. Um, and when Bayer Leverkusen eventually win the Bundesliga under Chabi Alonso, it's going to be Jason Bateman who plays him in the movie, right? <laughs> are we agreed? I mean, are we sure that Jason Bateman isn't playing him right now and they just kind of job swap every few months? <laughs> it's possible. I'd like to see Chabi Alonso in the next season of Ozark, should there be another one. That would be very entertaining <laughs> indeed. Uh, let's move to Serie A. Milan 2, Juventus nil, the big game from Calcio this weekend. Uh, Mr. Tamori opening the scoring with a, in the first half injury time with a bit of a scrappy corner incident uh, not long after um, Rafael Leal had hit the post from distance. Uh, and then Brain Diaz with the second goal in this one. Milan, Joe, were pretty darn dominant in this game. Um, 
which is interesting given how they performed against Chelsea midweek. And if we got Chelsea once again uh, on Tuesday evening as well, as we mentioned before. So what did you make of this one, Joe? Yeah, my focus again in this game, maybe this is because we did the big thing somewhat recently on Juventus, was on their struggles, right? Juve mm. only create, they, they have 10 shots relative to Milan's 21. I was going to try to say that a different way, but I think that's the simplest way to do it. They dominated possession, which is partly due to the fact that Milan score one goal before halftime and then another goal inside of 10 minutes of the second half. Tomori and Diaz, that, that's 2-0. Milan now no longer have this need to control the ball. And even under Pioli, they don't have this need to control the ball. They're happy to be functional and happy to be pragmatic and efficient for the most part. And they have the talent and the defensive strength and the counterattacking presences to presence-i? presences to go through and actually do that <laughs> stuff. So Juventus in this game, I thought, looked uninspired. And, and Graham, we've talked about this before. Ryan, I don't remember if you were on that big thing show with us or not. But that, that just kind of feels like Juve's thing right now is them being uninspired and coming out, whether it's uninspired tactically, which I do think was a factor in this game and they're, they're sort of 4-4-2 that's a little bit flexible but didn't seem to have that much energy, or in terms of personnel, right? You look at this squad that Maxi Allegri puts out in this game, and to me it doesn't look like this is a team that's going to go out there and, and run over opponents, and they certainly didn't in this game over the weekend. So I have my concerns about Juventus. I have uh, plenty of praise from mm. Milan in this game too, but man... I just can't shake this idea that Juve need a pretty major refresh. And the fact that they're eighth in the table says that too. Yeah. When you look at that Juventus team and compare it to the AC Milan team, there's 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 definitely a difference in terms of the talent, which is quite remarkable. I, I saw a tweet last week comparing the wage bills of these two teams and how um, Juventus's top paid player is on 9 million euros a season. I think AC Milan is about 4 or 5 million, and then you look at the, the, the quality of the two squads, and AC Milan have the, the much better, more talented squad at this moment. So that doesn't say a lot for the Juventus's recruitment at the moment. It's not just the team on the pitch as well. I think in terms of the, the managers, Pioli got the better of Allegri in terms of his tactics in, in, in this game, which maybe isn't saying much at the moment, but nonetheless, it contributed to the win. Allegri, as you mentioned, Joe, he's been using this 4-4-2 recently, and it worked well against Bologna last weekend, and it was effective against uh, Maccabi Haifa during the week in the Champions League. So what Pioli did was he preempted this by switching to a, a 4-3-3 with Pobiga. I always want to say Pogba when I read that, but Pobiga <laughs> dropping into the midfield. Um, and that meant Juventus were were overwhelmed in the centre of the pitch. So Juve had Locatelli and Rabiot in there, and it just meant they had very little to no control against the midfield three of, of, of Benacer, Tonali and Pobiga. And and this was a clear problem for, for Juve, Juve from early on in the match. But for some reason, Allegri sticks with the midfield two. And even when he makes changes in the second half, he sticks with that 4-4-2 rather than dropping someone into midfield. And... and there, it was just a, a problem that kind of dogged Juve for this whole match. And even beyond the structural problems, they just weren't able to match the, the intensity and tempo of Milan's play. Milan have clear attacking sequences and, and passing triangles. And you can see what their approach is. I have no idea what Juventus's approach is. Obviously, Di Maria was missing for this game with a, through suspension. He was brilliant during the week in the Champions League. And I said Juventus kind of looked like a different team when he's involved. But when he's not in this team, they just have no drive, no energy. And they, as I say, Milan deserved to win this match. It seems, Graham, that Allegri's been given a stay of execution. Well, he was with the last week's win over Bologna and the Champions League win over Maccabi Haifa at home as well. This one puts him uh, back on the chopping block, I suggest. If you, if you look at the fixtures for Juventus for the rest of October, uh, Maccabi Haifa again this week, uh, then it's the Turian Derby, then hosting Empoli, then Benfica in the Champions League, then Lecce away. Any other year, you'd expect Juventus to clean sweep all of those games without question, really, wouldn't you? Mm. And you look at this Allegri team and you're not sure if they're going to get wins from these. Yeah, nothing's a given for them at the moment, as proven by performances against teams like uh, Salernitana at home, where they you know, they, they scrape a, a draw. In terms of um, Allegri's job security, we spoke about this on The Big Thing, his, his wages are an issue. He's on this giant contract. I think he's tied until 2025. Juventus would need to pay about tw 20 million euros to just sack him. That's before they even find and, and hire a, a, a replacement. 
And Juventus says financial results recently for the last financial year have been very bad, so they don't want to add to that. So it feels like no matter what happens, Allegri's going to get until the World Cup break, at least, despite the fact that on the basis of what we've seen from this season, this season he probably should have been sacked a number of weeks ago. There probably should be a new manager in place already, but this kind of unique circumstance that, that Juventus are in might, might give them a reprieve and might give them time to turn things around, but I would not... Uh, I would not put your house on it, Caleb Porter style. (laughs) (laughs) Wise words. Uh, One last question for me on this, Graham. Uh, As I mentioned, Milan hosting Chelsea on Tuesday tomorrow as we record. Do you think this game puts Milan in better stead than they were for the last uh, game against Chelsea, which was a little disappointing on their part? Yeah, I think it does. And I think one major reason Milan should be more competitive in this second game against Chelsea is the fact that Teo Hernandez is back involved and they are... Uh, a different team, maybe not a different team, that's maybe a, a bit too dramatic, but certainly a, a more dangerous team when Theo was on that left side. We saw in the last two games, one of those games being that Chelsea game at Stamford Bridge, just how Milan struggled to create and open up space when he's not available. Rafael Leao can do it, but it feels like there's a lot of emphasis on him. He doesn't have the overlap runner, overlapping runner. He doesn't have anyone to take the attention away from him. So that left side of Theo and uh, Rafael Leao, the, the pace and the physical strength that they have and the technical ability, I think Milan have one of the best left sides in, in European football at the moment. So just having him back in the team, I think, makes a, a, a big difference and also a little bit of confidence from this game as well. Yes, indeed. Let's look around the rest of Serie A. Uh, Cremonense won. Napoli four, Graham. Wow, Napoli's scoring loads of goals this season. They're looking pretty darn good. They yeah. are two points clear at the top at the moment. Yeah, so seventy five minutes into this match, Napoli looked like they they might drop points here. They were they were struggling to break down Cremonese. It was one one, but we mentioned Napoli's depth last week on the Champions League review, and that proved the difference here. Three subs: uh, Gio Simeone, Chucky Lozano, and Matarius uh, Oliveira. They all scored coming off the bench, and this is now a team that scored thirty six goals in twelve games this season. So even even when it, it feels like something isn't happening for them, they, they find a way to blow teams away by the end, and that's what happened here. Those are Harling, Harland numbers. Very impressive from Napoli there. Uh, they stayed uh, comfortably top by two points because Atalanta in second were held 2-2 at Udinese. Uh, Inter Milan got a 2-1 win at Sassuolo. Dzeko, Edin Dzeko getting a brace there. Uh, the first of which was a hugely unmarked header, which was quite amusing if you check that one out, listener. His 100th and 101st uh, Serie A goals there for Mr. Dzeko. And Roma 2, Lecce 1, with Paolo Dybala having an eventful one, Graham. Indeed. So for Roma, this this result takes them back up to fifth place in in the Serie A table. But the real story concerns Paolo Dybala, as you referenced there, Ryan, who injured himself while scoring the winning penalty. I can't (laughs) say that I have seen that very often. Um, Obviously, there's a comical edge to that story, but it feels like it or it seems like it's going to be quite serious for for Paolo Dybala. Jose Mourinho said afterwards that he'll be out of action until 2023 which is a huge blow to Roma because he'd really started to become a difference maker for them, but also to Dybala and Argentina because obviously that means that he'll likely be out of the World Cup, which is, is a real shame, obviously a, a big talent. I was lo- I'm was looking forward to see Argentina at this World Cup, so the fact that they're going to lose one of their superstar attackers is, is, is a real shame. And we are in the danger zone now for players picking up injuries ahead of the World Cup where we're only, what is it, four or five weeks out from the start of that tournament. So if you're if you're getting injuries at this stage, it's really going to have an impact on your participation in that tournament. And it's a shame that it looks like Dybala won't be in Qatar. You want yeah. you want to see this clip, if you go and search for it on Twitter or wherever, you want to see this clip and see Dybala sort of tweak something in a celebration or in just this ridiculously over-the-top penalty routine. But it, it's not. And you watch it, it's just kind of, it's just a normal penalty kick and he pulls something in his leg as he's going to actually execute the penalty which he does sink into the back of the net and it's it's sad it's it's tough to watch it's not like you know he he ripped his leg in half but I wanted this to be some sort of ridiculously dramatic moment and it's just sort of an unfortunate injury that happens when Dybala is doing something very normal so yeah best best of luck to Dybala and 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 certainly Roma as they try to find how, how to fill his spot yeah, very unfortunate stuff. And it's why none of us are taking penalties up until the World Cup. We've got to Correct. stay fit for that live show Correct. at the start of, of the tournament, of course. So, yeah, uh, no spot kicks, guys, uh, until then. Uh, Ryan's uh, Roman observations, if I might switch to uh, a quick episode of that. It's I've, I've only lived in Rome just over a year. So when I arrived, if you look at the stores with soccer shirts in the streets, all of them said Totti on the back. And mm. within a few months, Tammy, Tammy Abraham, became the star and it was, it was almost like overnight all the shirts changed to number nine abraham on the streets as you walk through 
And for the last few months, obviously, it's been Dybala who has been the main event. It's been it's really strange how the flavor of the month seems to change so quickly and understandably, I suppose. But like every kid you see in the streets is wearing a Dybala shirt. Uh, so he, he is a huge, huge deal in, in Rome. So a, a big loss for yeah. Roma indeed. I imagine uh, Lorenzo Pellegrini walks past all those shirts, none of them, none of which have his name on the back. Obviously, him being the, the 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 player who's come through the Roman Youth Academy, the guy who was seen as the next Totti, the guy who is actually in the Italian national team, and he just goes, "Ah, oh, come on, when am I getting my name on the back of some shirts here?" Yeah, yeah, they do like their their, their national team players, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's club over country. Certainly, it seems uh, from from the shirts on the street, Graham. Uh, let's go to La Liga. Atleti two, Girona one. A Correa brace uh, giving Atleti three points there. Uh, Hatafe nil, Real Madrid one. Real Madrid going top for a little while on Saturday. Graham, did you catch that one? I did. So this this match could have been a more emphatic win for Real Madrid. I'm not sure the scoreline in the end actually reflected how comfortable this was for them. They certainly had chances to to score more than one. They had a second goal uh, by Rodrigo chalked off. I thought Hitafi offered very, very little. Aaron Barry and Maximovic excuse me, were, were missing for them, two important players, um, and they just looked quite limited. So from Real Madrid's point of view, probably the perfect preparation for next week's classical in that they didn't have to really exert themselves much. There was a bit of rotation from Ancelotti and they stay uh, or, or they, they're joint top on points with Barcelona at the top of La Liga, right? I think Barcelona have yes. the advantage on, on goal difference at the moment, but nonetheless, uh, all intents and purposes, still top of La Liga. That's right, Graham. Yeah, Barcelona just creeping back ahead over Real Madrid on goal difference on Sunday when they beat uh, Celta Vigo 1-0 with the aforementioned Pedri getting the goal there. Pedri power, <laughs> baby. Pedri power. Pedri power, indeed. Um, <laughs> Classico next week, did you say, Graham? That's quite evenly poised for that game, isn't it? It is, and I'm the most I'm, I'm most excited about this Classico, more excited, I should say, than, than I have been for... Uh, any classical really since the the height of the the Messi Ronaldo age it feels like both teams have been in a dip um and they're kind of emerging from that dip Barcelona obviously have a team packed full of 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 talented players Real Madrid kind of doing what they've been doing for the last few years still very consistent I thought Barcelona over their, their game against Celta Vigo it was a really strange performance by them so they were excellent for the first 20 minutes and could have scored two or three but then they totally lost control in the second half, particularly after uh, Pedri was was taken off, no Pedri power after he uh, he comes <laughs> off, and and they were actually pretty fortunate to get the win by the end. That there's no denying that the the quality of this Barcelona team when everything is going well for them, but it still feels like they're quite fragile, and and I think that has to be a concern ahead of a a huge week. Let's not forget it's not just the Clasico on Sunday; it's this Champions League game against Inter during the week as well, where they need a win to really have any any chance of making the last sixteen. So a huge week for Barcelona, and I think Xavi will have some concerns after that performance against Celta Vigo, but they get the three points to go back to the top of La Liga. They do indeed. Let's finish up with the any other business section, aka the bit where we say what PSG did. Uh, Rem nil, PSG <laughs> nil. Uh, uh, for PSG, dropping points for the second time this season. No Lionel Messi for this one. He was injured. Uh, Sergio Ramos getting his 28th red card of his career. Two quick yellows in succession for Ramos. Congratulations, Sergio. We know you can hit 30. We know you can do it. Come on. You got it in you. We believe <laughs> Keep you. fighting. Keep fighting. Keep, keep fighting the, the bad fight, shall we say. Um, one other note, uh, a, a scoreline of note I wanted to mention from the fifth tier of English soccer, the National League, uh, Wrexham 7, Barnet Five. Uh, I think many Whiffed. listeners will be following Wrexham's story based on the um, we, uh, Welcome to Wrexham show on FX, uh, which is actually a pretty entertaining show. Have either of you guys watched it? Graham, I think you've been mm. watching it, right? Yeah, there are almost as many goals in this game as there are episodes of Welcome to Wrexham. <laughs> I, I keep thinking this must be the last episode as we get to 13, 14, 15, and we're still going. Yeah. That's my only complaint is it's, it feels like they are squeezing quite a lot of content out. But I guess it's only 30-minute episodes, but nonetheless, yeah. I can't believe we're 15 episodes into this and we've not got to the end. I think there's only 16. I think the last one will be their Wembley trip, if I uh, if I recall. Okay. But um, yeah, you're right. There has been some filler episodes. I think they, they're certainly guilty of that. Uh, it was... A bit of a heartbreaker. I, I'm not spoiling anything. This is factual stuff that happened. But they they signed a Wimbledon striker, Ollie Palmer. Yeah. Um, and I still blame Ryan Reynolds for relegating us because we didn't score any goals when he left. So thanks, <laughs> Mr. Reynolds. Appreciate you. Yeah. Ollie Palmer just seems like the archetypal lower league 
Eng- like English lower league striker. I don't even mean that as an insult. I actually mean that as a compliment, where it's just like big and physical and you just send crosses into him and he'll just head everything home. Yeah, yeah. And this is going to sound very name droppy, but I was texting my brother about watching it when I was watching this show earlier this week. And he was like, oh yeah, Ollie Palmer was at my house earlier. He lives on, he still lives on my brother's street, which is fun. Uh, of course he wait, does. wait, hold on. Where, does your brother live in Wrexham? No. So this is a weird thing. Ollie Palmer doesn't live in Wrexham. He, he commutes three days a week to train. So he doesn't. He still lives in Surrey, in, in southwest London. He commutes from London, Surrey, to Wrexham. <laughs> he does. He does. Have they, did Wrexham buy him a helicopter or something? <laughs> he goes three days a week for training, and then he lives. His family still live in in London. Yeah, yeah. Funny wow. old world, isn't it? Anywho, that uh, that <laughs> that concludes the weekend review. Graham Ruthven, thank you so much for your insight and analysis as always. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Joe Lowry, big pleasure, sir. Right back at you, Ryan. And Taylor Rockwell, not with us, but congratulations again on the Richmond Kickers doing their thing uh, for the first time since self-relegating themselves a few seasons ago. Listener, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. We'll be back on the feed very shortly, but for now, bye!